Hello, welcome back. It is episode 100, part B, as promised. I am once again for the 102nd time, 101st time I can count. I am Jessica I'm one half of Wannabe Games. I make role playing games. I'm here with Craig Campbell, my co host. Hello, Craig. Hello, Jess. I'm still here. Um, <laughs> and we are here. Uh, yeah, I'm have, I, I own Nerdbird Games. I make games too. Um, and we are here with, uh, let's start with Starshine this time. Hello. Hi, I'm still here. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm, I'm wearing the same outfit, obviously. I put a lot of thought into this. I'm Starshine Scribbles. <laughs> I'm a TTRPG creator and a content creator and an artist and everything else. I make games. Yay. And Liana is also here with us still. Hello, Liana. Yes, I I am still here. I'm Leon McKenzie. I make uh I make anime tabletop RPGs about screaming and the power of friendship. <laughs> Thank you, screaming. both of both of you for not running away with our brief uh break between episode one hundred part A and part B. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to get back into some more of these questions. I've saved some really good ones for part two. Um, let, let's jump in. Let's start with the GMing question. Because we didn't do any GMing last time. And maybe there are some GMs out there who are like, oh, why did I even listen? Well, I hope that you learned something anyway. What is the best way to start a new campaign? As we start this new episode, what's the best way to start a new campaign? as a gm that is a loaded question <laughs> yeah that's a <laughs> so very... everyone meets in a tavern no <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfectly legitimate way to start i think um we can probably pass it around and kind of think of it what is one of the best ways there's probably many best ways um so we could each offer like a way that we consider a good way to and uh, to start a campaign um that's just a thought make it simple yeah um I, uh, you know, it, it, to me, it always kind of depends on the game that you're playing. Um, as an example, if you're going to be playing a game that is heavy on um, fight scenes and combat and so forth, a great way to get kind of a, an idea of the character's combat personality is to start in media res. Like a fight has just started. You're around into it. Everybody's down a couple of hit points. Set up... Um, you know, give a little description of what this is, what the stakes are, why this this fight broke out. You can always walk it back and do flashbacks to figure out how you got to this point. Like you can start like in the combat. There's nothing wrong with it. You don't need to have a role playing segment to start things off. Um, a, a combat can be a very engaging, exciting way to start a campaign. It, I love the in media res. I I am actually a big fan of that. We all meet in a tavern. We all meet in a public place. Um, but what I like to do is once I have an idea for our campaign, it's usually based off of like, oh, I saw this cool movie and now I want to do a game about it. Or like I was reading this book and I think that this is a great setting and I like a great plot and I'm going to steal it because I know none of my friends have read this and I'm just going to take it. And then I have everyone sit down. I tell them, okay, here's what we're going to play. Here's kind of the world. Here's kind of what I'm thinking. Let's make characters, and then we're going to talk about if your characters know each other and how, which is one of the things I really like about Powered by the Apocalypse games with the links that they have between the characters, um, sometimes giving people straight-up prompts, like how do you engage with this world, giving them a character questionnaire either. Even I, 
I love a character questionnaire. I used to do that all the time with my OCs back when I wrote fan fiction. Uh, <laughs> and I think if even if my players don't love them, they're gonna they're gonna do it anyway for me, just to give me ideas on how to connect them to the world. I personally think that's the best way to 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 start a campaign. Get everyone invested in the plot and in each other. How about Liana? Uh, so I, um, when I'm building a campaign, I, I'm, uh, basically what I'll do is I will, I will take what I call core engagements. Um, I feel like I might've talked with you guys about this before. Um, so for me, what a core engagement is, is it is a, it is a kind of a central premise for what the campaign is going to be about. I've been incorporating this a lot to my setting design. So I'm working on a setting called Linaya right now, which is kind of this magical academy, magical girl setting. And I identified my core engagements as like, uh, go fight giant kaiju where you're like climbing all over them, Shadow of the Colossus style to contain them and their elemental power or like learning to learning diplomacy and spycraft and going into hostile nations and doing kind of like teenage spy stuff or like fighting horrible emotion sucking uh, shade enemies with the power of, of uh, pop idol magical girl sequences. So I'll have that list and I'll, I'll go, I'll talk to the party. It's like, okay, so like, here's kind of the things you can do in this setting. What interests you? So the part get the party to come to a consensus. And then I will kind of set the stage for them as like who they are, why they're together, because I am developing this particular setting as specifically for tabletop RPGs. I have a very set, like you are students at a academy and you have like, the rules of the academy is when everyone's in, in their third year, when they're 16, they have to form a adventuring party, basically, of people from like different different academy houses than they are, because you, you need to learn to work with other people um, towards the same goal. So it's like, okay, so you guys, you guys are, you're a unit, so you guys came together. So tell me more about that. Like, why did you pick each other? Or did you just get assigned to each other because you were some of those losers who couldn't get it? Because <laughs> they're like, okay, you're going here now. I want to play this campaign. I, first of all, love a magical school, love a magical girl, love a group project. I want to play this campaign. <laughs> Great, because I am developing it. So like, if you want, if you want information, I will happily send it to you because I need people to test it. I will test it. Just give it to me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> we'll connect, we'll connect after this. I'll, I'll send yeah. you some stuff. <laughs> Starshine, how do you start uh... a campaign? You've, most of you already covered the ground. I would I would go with. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the annoying meta person. So do your admin. How you start a campaign is just get your admin done. Get your session zeros out of the way. Like it's boring, but we do it for a reason. It's the you know, same reason. If you're working with industry machinery, you've got to check your bolts and all that. Just session zeros, sort of getting a plan. But yeah, I agree. Always kind of starting the actual play with just getting people talking see what how they connect and i like getting people to bring something mm. to first sessions be that like just usually like a prompt there's like name something interesting in this world it could be anything from your favorite store to a book you really like it doesn't have to be anything more in depth and you give a name and then later on hey that might come up later on for first scenes i'm always a big believer in doing things that are light and easy just so people get a chance to sort of get their voice in, get a bit of a flow going. So I'm always a big fan, and this is because I'm a massive Agatha Christie uh, mark, of her introductions where you'll have some 
light talk that then goes into some formality that requires characters to sort of express themselves in some way. So for me, I, I love Tavern, you can do this in, but just even with magical schools kind of settings, you know, here's a teacher going, oh gosh, I don't know who any of you are. I'm going to have to go through this. Just to give everyone that quick moment to just think of something nice, light. If you kind of are a bit slower, no problem. Here's a chance to sort of express. And if you have something already planned out, you can go to town with it. I am imagining starting a game where I do a literal icebreaker. A thing that I hate in real life, like, okay, everyone, go around and say one interesting fact about yourself. (laughs) That's a a really simple way of doing it. And it... (laughs) Like if you can justify it in universe, which I mean, look at how many video games do this thing of where you'll turn up and be like, "Oh, I've lost your paperwork. Please fill in your name and then tell me what you look like." <laughs> they do that because it works. Gives you a nice little area to learn the controls. Gives you a nice menu. It's just immersive enough where you get to sort of have some fun without it being going on forever. It's a very good system and used repeatedly for a reason. I I, Jen, I, I love that Persona Five made you fill out a confession form after you're you're being brutalized by cops like that was that was some incredible use of that that's a really good one like all the persona (laughs) games are really good for that there's a a couple of other really good examples which are now totally eluding me that will just sorry Jess I totally cut you off no 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 that's fine but yeah it's great just give a sort of a reason for people to have some fun and get in in a nice sort of low effort environment so I, I really like in a movie where like someone walks in and then there's like a freeze frame and then their name comes across and it gives like three facts about them or then maybe even flashes back to like a scene that they had by themselves. I think incorporating something like that would be fun. Um, it's the Suicide Squad movie version of that. Um, Suicide Squad must have been written by someone who loved loved that because the the scenes where they're bringing everyone together and kind of giving the background of the characters. It's like they were obsessed and it takes 45 minutes of the movie for them to finally stop introducing other characters. The film that does that really well is uh, Death of Stalin. I uh, haven't seen that. Oh, I recommend it. It's uh, about the, about Stalin and the power struggle after he died. It's a comedy, of course. <laughs> but it does of these course. great three frames on characters when they're introduced to sort of tell you who they're meant to be. But they pick the perfect freeze, like so. The guy who's very conniving, like he's looking down, he's like holding his hands. When the Red Army come in, the guy they freeze on is just in this massive throwing off his jacket to reveal his medals. They do so well in like one frame. This is everything you need to know about this character and how he fits into this group. Yeah, it's and really it's good tone. So setting. perfect. That's that's I I want to capture that mechanically in a game. Uh, I don't know how I would do it, but it's in my mind now. Uh, oh gosh <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are ways of doing it we'll, we'll discover them god damn it I, I, I was thinking about like the confession form for Persona 5 um, but there's also there was a Silent Hill game where like the daughter is in a therapist office going over like that's kind of how the game starts like the really thematic kinds of character sheets are, are a fun way I've seen some where like you're filling out your your like rap sheet of your like all here are all the crimes that my character has done um i suck at making character sheets though i'm thinking about this from a design perspective now <laughs> rather than just a gming perspective um it, man it's been a while since i've started a campaign 
I literally just went through an old notebook and like threw away some old campaign materials that I wasn't going to play again. And it was like, oh, I want to make a map and a cool world again and make all these NPCs. And speaking of NPCs, this is this is the other GM question, but I can't help a good segue. How do we make NPCs that are like interesting and likable and that players care about? Because I feel like that's another way to hook our players into a campaign. Liana? Use the NPC to step on them. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, that can work in a lot of games. It certainly, it, it certainly does. It certainly <laughs> does. Uh, for me, when I'm considering NPCs and NPC designs, I... I try and approach it from the lens of who is this NPC supposed to be to the party. So like, if it's a teacher, it's like, all right, so I need to make, I want to make them memorable. I want to make them fun. I want to make them interesting. So like one of, one of my professors, for example, in, in this, in the Lanai Academy is a extremely grumpy forest dragon. So like he is this big green dragon. He refuses to teach outside of the main lecture hall that's big enough to support his dragon body because he won't uh he he won't stoop to taking a human form um and uh his horde uh his horde is top secret no one's ever actually gotten to into it but it's actually like newspaper clippings of like every student he's ever taught oh my gosh so like creating um in anime we call this gap moe of like the gap between like the 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 like the the image the cool image and then like the the other cute things that they do so uh, i i will i will weaponize this against my party whenever possible <laughs> i just like the i would imagining being a student and then discovering in this dragon's office like oh they kept this <laughs> They kept the newspaper clipping of when I when I did that really cool thing in the woods the other day. Yeah, like literally every every scrap of media for every student this dragon has ever taught in his tenure at the <laughs> academy, uh, he keeps in his court. But layers on campus, students aren't allowed in. He's like trapped it to all to hell to like keep people <laughs> out. So like. Everyone wants to know what his hoard is because because the rumor is like it is like the greatest treasure ever, and it is to him. Oh my gosh, I would cry like I I would cry in that game if I if I happened upon that. <laughs> Starshine, how do you make likable, lovable, or hateable NPCs that players care about? Uh, so the clear thing is said. Look at what they're there to, what they're there to do, their role in the story, and give them a connection to the world. Uh, that's the most important thing. Make them feel like they have a purpose. And the best thing to do is think about them. They've got to feel like they exist outside of when you're looking at them. They're not just vanishing the second you close your eyes. They have permanence. Not full permanence, that'd be awkward, but they have some form of permanence. And then sometimes it's as simple as give them a gimmick to make them stand out. And that gimmick can be something massive or it can be something tiny. Sometimes it's just a way of speech. You, know, you don't want something that's going to be too pushy on the players, but you do want something that's just so they're easily memorable. And then just, yeah, see where things go from there. Often for me, it's like a little bit of a little speech quirk. So I've always hammer home that that's the thing. So I, the character I've used for years is a jester called Jostica, whose whole thing is that she 
start and then stops puns midway through. <laughs> and actually gets very upset when she finishes one accidentally. <laughs> and that's just a thing. And then sometimes, why is she here? Well, because she's very important, because she's the one person stupid enough to handle magical objects in this world. Because no one else will dare do it. But she's got a bit of a daredevil streak. And then they go, that's for players. That's something you've immediately give them and say, like, hey, this is why this person is going to be important to you. They're the person who knows this. And if you want this, you're going to have to go through them. Give them a reason. And one of the, the best tricks I've ever read, and it works really well in drama, if you want to flesh out a character quickly, have them talk about a previous interaction with another character or have them know a space in the way the audience doesn't because it immediately establishes that they exist beyond your plane of vision. And that can be something as simple as a character walking in, seeing another character and being like, hey, I remember you from when from the ball we met two months ago. doesn't have to be a big overarching story, just they're known or someone knows them. You know, someone could be like, oh, I've read about you, I've seen you, because then again, it makes them feel like they're actually living and doing things rather than just being, I am button you press to do x i yeah i think that that is it's hard to do as a gm too because you're you have to imagine not just like when you're sitting there at the table you're kind of also thinking about well how do these people know each other what are they doing when they're gone and sometimes that can be a lot but my favorite game experiences have been that like you you find some NPCs in a place that you wouldn't have expected them to be and they're hanging out with each other. Like, how do you know each other again? Like, when did this happen? I, I love that. I love that discovery. That's a fault that I have. I am very much a, you turn around and they're kind of gone kind of GM. Something I've noticed that the thing I, a lot of GMs and you ones forget is that even if you're in a magical fantasy world full of dragons and witches, you can go the mundane route. Not everything needs to be grand with NPCs. It could literally be these two guys get a beer together. Why they used to go to rugby matches together. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be a big thing. But there you go. You've now gone, hey, not only are sports games a thing in this universe, these two went to them. They have a history together. Could be the simplest thing in the world. Could literally have been a meat cute. <laughs> you know, I dropped my, my books on the floor and now I'm friends with the evil overlord. But hey, that's how life goes. Because... <laughs> When you think about your relationships, like most most ones we have are weird circumstantial. Just go yeah. simple. I, I the best way to get me to like be in love with the character is to have another character to ship that character with. As soon as I can be like, oh, they'd be such a good <laughs> couple. And now I have a mission. I have a personal mission to make them fall in love or to make them become best friends. Um, I, a, if, if you get a little meet cute together, like, Ooh, well, let's, let's set something up later. That's the best way to get me to care about them or to get a, a PC to kind of like the other character. So finding out like what kinds of tropes do, do my players like, do they, do they like, uh, a, a, do they want an NPC that will step on them? <laughs> what, what do they want? Um, and then put that in their game. Like, what what are they kind of seeking out? Um, I I love using tropes as as NPC creators. Like, you have your wacky scientist. You have the sneaky sneaky little thief. You have a goofy wizard, and then add a little twist on them. 
and then just send them out into the world. It's a really nice, easy character generation. Um, and then those tropes, people know what to do with them kind of innately. Just um, to build on that, there's a reason tropes exist. It's because they work. Yeah, it- exactly. <laughs> it, it gives people a very easy structure to recognize too. Like it's the schemas, right? In, in, in how we look at things and how we process them. And that's why subverting tropes is also so powerful because people will just just by invoking a trope they'll they'll have perceptions and then if you break those perceptions later it will it will really stick with players yeah speaking to that um because that just kind of ties nicely to something i was thinking about which is um we as human people um are made up but we have many 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 qualities and some of those qualities are in conflict with one another there are dichotomies to us um, so I like to give NPCs, particularly when you have an NPC that's got kind of an extreme personality, is to give them some aspect of their character that is completely not that extreme because people are people and they have a lot of different sides to them. So you've got the evil, this is speaking to the trope thing, like, you know, the evil bad person who's doing all the bad things, but for a good reason or what they see as a good reason. They're trying to save their spouse's life who is sick or imprisoned or something, but they're doing all these terrible things in the process. You know, it's the Mr. Freeze kind of story. Um, um, and that becomes like, okay, they're the bad guy. The, the heroes are trying to, to stop them, but they have this personality quirk that the heroes, you know, can now play off of. They can use that to, you know, so it doesn't have to be a beat down against the the bad guy. They can, they can play on their emotions about it, find other ways to maybe help them or solve, you know, solve their problem for them, deal with whatever it is that they're, you know, the good reason, quote unquote, that they're doing these terrible things. Or if you have a character that's kind of an enigma, the mystery, right? Like you inherently don't give a lot of information about this person because you want to reveal things later. So you keep them very mysterious up front, but then let the players see that there's something about them. That's completely not mysterious. Like you're meeting the mystery person in a diner and they're being real enigmatic about how they're discussing things. And then it becomes painfully and obviously clear that they are unabashedly in love with the waitress. Like they have a, this huge puppy love crush on this waitress. Um, and now that becomes like an interesting character quirk. It's memorable. It's something that the players can then utilize in the game. They can kind of play off of that. You know, they can get the like, hey, like if you give us this information, we'll help you like, you know, like talk to her without like bumbling over your words because you're super nervous. Um, we'll teach you how to kind of get your act together <laughs> for that. Um, you do you know, a, you do and, a makeover process, scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can, you can, it gives, it, it, it's one of those things that it keeps the, the villains from being mustache twirlers and it keeps the mysteries from being like unknowable. Uh, we have some, a couple of design questions that I don't know really how to fit them into this conversation naturally. So these are going to be kind of hard cuts here. Um, how do you make a game that builds slash requires player interactivity i chose this one next because we are kind of talking about how players interact with the world but how do we how do we make rules that require our players to interact that's a tough one i mean i i want i want it to happen naturally i feel like that's the goal how do we make it happen starshine yes that's a, that's a question half, isn't it 
There's yeah. a thesis paper in this somewhere. <laughs> yeah. this is I've a, got a oh. I've got a two answer a two word answer that leaves everything completely wide open and actually doesn't answer the question. I need to hear this immediately. Reward them. You beat me to it. Yeah. You want you want the characters to interact, have rules that rewards that. Now, what does that mean for your game? That, you know, that becomes a question of like what the game is about and what 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 kind of a play experience you're going for. But it can be as simple as you want the characters to like something I'm I'm dealing with with a, with a design right now is like wanting to have the characters have a lot of cool abilities that help another character, but doesn't penalize them on their own turn. Like they can do their thing on their turn, but then on somebody else's turn, they can do this little thing that helps that character. And it's tied to a a, a currency. So you can only do it so much, but that becomes part of the game to kind of figure out when you're going to spend that currency to be able to do these little things. But it also keeps you focused on everything that's happening because at any moment you might be able to jump in and help one of the other players in their character's action. Um, and it rewards you for like, I'm, I'm spending this point and I'm giving my friend here now something that's going to make it easier for them to do what it was they were trying to do. So it's going to encourage player active, uh, um, a player, inter player, you know, player interaction, character interaction by increasing the odds of success in the process. And that's a reward. Josh, anything to add to that? Anything? Uh, I would spread it. I would spread it out a little bit more. If not even just reward them. Just mechanics that in give you a place to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I come from the school of thought, which is a very debatable school of thought. It's not true. Yeah, it's hardly ever true. Of sort of play as it is being um, the word has immediately left my mind. Done, but it comes very naturally because it's a natural thing for people to do. So just if you encourage it in the lightest way by giving them mechanics they can use and stuff like that, they will do it. So make sure your mechanics open it up. It doesn't even have to be the reward. But if you don't, I sort of look at it as, um place that sort of interests me in this is playground design. Or how you design sort of playgrounds for children is that if you give them the tools to play, they will play, but you have to make it clear these are tools that can be used for play. So just have mechanics that sort of up front, give them these chances to do it. A child will engage in imaginative play if given a doll and told they can play with it. But if you put it behind a glass case, they're not because you're signaling that it's not for play. So make sure your mechanics encourage it or give a reason to do it. So basically, we're very permissive. We're, what we're saying is we're giving you permission to do this because people, if you give them rules, will follow them to the letter usually. Because you have to do that in life. Because you can't get away using the play excuse in court. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, officer, I was engaging in some immersive uh, role play by speeding. No, so you want to do these rules. You want to make them that ha make them encourage that by pushing people towards that. I mean, like, hey, go on. Liana? Uh, I... Generally, yeah, I agree. Um, I can give some specific examples too, because this is actually a big part of our, our personal design. Uh, so as a designer, um, I, I am always thinking about how I can capture the feel of, of what it is I'm going for. Um, I also have one very hard rule uh, that I just want to get out there. Tabletop RPGs should not have full stuns. Um, 
and this is my personal belief, but I will I will call I will explain it so that people understand. Uh, if you have mechanics where a person can just lose a turn, especially in a complex combat game in which it could be an hour until that person's next turn, uh, you are inviting that person to get on their phone and just completely shut down because you have made them sit around for two hours and not being able to do anything. Uh, second, interactivity. Build mechanics that require more frequent interaction and uh reward engagement so two big ones for valor uh, for valor combat uh is we roll defense so instead of targeting a flat armor class or whatever uh a if i'm attacking you i'm rolling to attack you and i'm telling uh, i'm saying i'm attacking you with like muscle for example so I, i'm trying to punch you and then and then you have to make a decision it's like do i the squishy wizard defend with muscle of course not so I'm going to spend some of my 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 stamina resource to raise a shield with my aura, which I'm actually good at. So there's, it's a slight interaction. Uh, mechanically, it's not a huge deal because you're mostly going to be using a few things and you always kind of know, but you're still making that sort of risk reward decision when you choose to defend yourself and you're rolling. So you're still involved in it. Uh, other system we use is, is our Valor system where you can gain Valor for like dramatic monologues, like acting super anime, basically. Um, so we're rewarding you specifically for behavior that we want you to engage in. Uh, and uh, we made it so that you can't bank it. Valor resets after every scene. So the engagement is is a on a per scene basis. So as you're, as you're gathering your Valor, it has to be because you have engaged specifically with the scene that is happening right in front of you. It's not. It's not because you've saved some something up uh, from a prior scene. Um, so it's it's building rules like that that thematically fit the feel of what you're going for. Valor is very anime, obviously, so these these rules make sense in the schema of anime. Um, and finding ways to let your players do things. Um, always always be designing towards action rather than inaction. That has always been my least favorite part about playing a TTRPG is when I'm just sitting there doing nothing. And like, there's no, there's no real point in me even paying attention because my action doesn't impact anybody else's action. That's always been my least favorite part. That is one of the reasons why I made like some of my own stuff and why I enjoy other types of games like Powered by the Apocalypse, where you're not necessarily turn taking um, you can help other people on your actions. You can kind of interrupt things. I do like that. Um, I love the idea of rolling for defense too, because another thing, like, okay, all these conversations conversations always come back to D and D, but like, oh, I roll to hit you. I either hit you or I don't. Like, woo! I can describe it all I want, but there's no actual mechanic for we in the game, like how you describe it. All of that onus kind of gets placed on the GM, and I feel like that's like. In a traditional sort of, uh, like, design theory, a lot of that interaction, like the player interactivity or the interaction of the player to the world, all of that work is put on a GM. And there are a lot of things we can be doing as game designers to reward the players for doing it, to give them a space for it, giving them permission to do it within the mechanics having mechanics that specifically make it happen and require it to happen um 
I think that that's one of the huge advantages a lot of indie games have against a game like D&D or Pathfinder, where it is just we're throwing math at a character until it dies, which is often or until the problem is solved, which is often how those end up going down, which is also something I hear from a lot of casual game players. Like when I'm at conventions and talking to people who are just kind of in the space, maybe they're primarily a board gamer. Maybe they're there with a friend or a spouse or a significant other. And they're like, oh, I'm not really into it. Every time I sit here, like I play, I get bored. I don't want to do this anymore. It's often because they don't know how to interact with the world because it's not written out there in the mechanics or in the book or it's just the way the game's designed. Like that's the number one complaint I hear from gamers who say I was like this is just not really my thing um also another thing I hear from casual gamers I'm saying this with all respect to casual gamers I don't consider myself to be very intense um I love to make up my own world as a GM I like to make up my own world my own campaign my own NPCs my own setting my own whatever's happening not everyone likes to do that because that is a lot of work some people want something already there and written out for them that they can they they want they want the Barbie with all of the accessories. They don't want to have to crochet the outfits for her. They don't want to have to cut her hair. They want it there. They want to play SeaWorld Barbie in SeaWorld and they want to play Safari Barbie at the Safari and they want to play Rockstar Barbie at the concert. Gosh, um, I hope you're not getting SeaWorld Barbie. Uh, abuse abuse of marine animals is very out these days i agree with you it's just one of the barbies i had when no it was a baywatch barbie not a sea world barbie regardless i had one as a kid i can say things about that one (laughs) i agree with you it is incredibly abusive i i actually just listened to a whole long essay on how terrible it is for orcas to be specifically orcas to be captivity and good for those orcas in spain who are capsizing boats <laughs> we deserve I just it learned there's a whole like line of barbie i didn't know existed like well, the evil barbie job. there is there are so many this is way off topic there are so many barbies out there you can get a barbie for everything there are barbies that are specifically designed to look like other celebrities and all the careers that barbie's ever had plus barbie's friends when I was a kid, I never played with the sets. I mean, I had the sets for the outfits, but then we'd mix and match and we'd go on our own little our own just, little dramas. To cycle back to a previous question, that if you want making an NPC interesting, look how every Barbie set differs. Like how a couple oh, yeah. of bits and now it's not now it's not Barbie Barbie. It's um I'm trying to think of a good job. <laughs> Astronaut Barbie. <laughs> Tax accountant the Barbie. <laughs> There were Barbies that would be pregnant and you'd have a little magnetic <laughs> like <Goodness. a> belly. <laughs> there were so many of them. A lot about a lot of people, man. But what I'm saying is sometimes you have to give them all the accessories to play with and it will open up their play in ways that you might not find very satisfying for yourself as a gamer, but will give them just like the right sandbox and the right toys to play with to really... Um, get them interacting in the way that you're imagining them to interact. Um, I, I don't know. For for me, personally, that feels very constrictive. Like, here are the types of, like, here's the story and here are the, here are the pieces. Um, but for other people, that kind of gameplay is very freeing. Um, and also helps take the effort off of the GM to, like, making them do all of this work. This uh, is what why if, if you 
look at um, a lot of like management games stuff like that, they'll always have scenario and sandbox as separate options. Because yeah. some players having the blank flat to build on is great. For other players, they want a scenario with a push to do something. Some people really need guidance. Yeah. And having it too. I went to the Unpub um, game jam that we had at Origins. And I had a great conversation with Ben from Unpub about how giving people limitations opens up their creativity in ways that you would never imagine. And that like when you just say, okay, go make a game, then they freeze and don't know what to do. It's the same way for play for play. Um, if you give them like, here is a game where you can play anything you want. It's a setting agnostic system that can be really overwhelming for a certain type of gamer. Um, it can be really cool for another certain type of gamer, but I feel like a lot of, a lot of um, players fall into the, I need something a little bit more specific to pitch to my players, even to pitch to my group, um, even if I'd be cool with it. Uh, sorry, I went off a little bit on a tangent there. <laughs> no, I'm thinking about Barbie. I'm thinking about Barbie for the for the movie that's coming out soon. Um, and oh, you know what it was? Starshine, you mentioned dolls in cases and my grandma had a bunch of Barbies oh. that she would never let us open. I would, oh. I would look at them long. See, not encouraging play. These <laughs> these are the dolls for looking at. She had these looking the... at dolls, a lot of them. Oh. These are the dolls <laughs> that are not allowed out for crimes they have committed previously. <laughs> <laughs> well, now there's a story, and I can work with that. <laughs> um. Okay. Uh, how about another question here? This is a question that has been on this list. I've been saving it for toward the end because I love it. Here's the time machine. What gaming trend would you like to go back and get in on the ground floor of? Examples. Your friend's parents are Maggie and Vincent Baker and have you over when they invent Powered by the Apocalypse. Or you buy the first batch of cards for this new game called Magic. What's the trend? What's the game you wish you were there for to get on the ground floor of? Oh, that's hard. That's so... (laughs) I'm going to let people think because I I saw the questions beforehand and I have to tell this story, sort of a story. Um, And it sounds a little bit like cheating because I'm going to say magic, but I have a reason why. When I got into magic, it was just after the dark, the fourth expansion set, the dark came out, which is the first expansion set that wasn't filled with broken cards, which means I missed Alpha Beta Unlimited with the with the Moxes and the Black Lotus and the Power Blue and all that. And I missed Arabian Nights and Antiquities and Legends, which had some broken cards in it too. So there were, I know the stories and told to me by good friends of mine who of people who got into the game six months before me, who were playing with these cards. And when I started playing, had these cards that were ridiculous and that you could build these decks that would do like, you could empty your hand and do like a massive amount of damage. And there's first turn kills. You I can, you know, you in magic in the, in the very beginning, you could kill somebody completely deal 20 points of damage in the first turn. If you got the right cards in your hand. Um, I missed that. And the first expansion that I was there for from the get go was fallen empires, which is largely considered to be one of the worst expansions that magic ever put out. Because it was a reaction to, whoa, we got to make sure we don't have any more of those cards. 
you know, make it into the game. We got to keep this balance. The game's getting bigger. We got to, you know, make sure everybody is kind of on a, on a level playing field. I wish that I would have just had a chance to play a little bit in those like six months earlier. I just missed it. I, my mom worked at a bookstore growing up. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but uh, they had like a case at the bookstore of magic cards. And I would look at them and look at the art and look at the, like the writing on them. And I'd be like, mom, you got to let me have one of these. And she said, no, first of all, you're five. (laughs) (laughs) Second of all, some of these are really expensive. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, Gosh, this is a hard one. Liana or Starshine, do either of you have a, a game you'd wish you were on the ground floor of? I do. Um, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give the simple ti- answer, then I'm going to give my timey-wimey bullshit answer. Um, simple, realistic, like, time machine scenario, just go back and, and pick up Black Lotus. Um, <laughs> or, like, both whole Black Lotuses. That yeah. is the retirement fund. Um, <laughs> I would go back and beat Besant to getting anime licenses for games. Uh, and then I would do them right, because I would love to have had a Dragon Ball Z and a Sailor Moon license. And I could actually do them properly. <laughs> yeah, the licensing thing. I was thinking about like, I wish I had a role playing game ready for when Breath of the Wild came out. Um, because Legend of Zelda has always been a huge favorite of mine. Just like something that's always captured my imagination and has always like one of the things that got me into getting into like fantasy and to role playing games, which Legend of Zelda. And uh, I wish I could have maybe <laughs> had the, I wish I could have, I, I'm not going to be the one who gets the license eventually, but I wish it was me. I would use the time machine to do that. How would you start, Shine? Well, I've, I'm, I'm doing like so many answers in my head. Know, my snarky right? answer is Royal Game of Ur, just because you could rend history asunder by messing with that game. It's one of our first physical relics of people playing games. So my sort of desire to be Lord of Time is coming in there like, oh, I redo all <laughs> of history by adding, I don't know, rollback dice to that game and then just ruining everything. Um, so my two serious answers, if for non-TTRPGs, it would be Majestic because Majestic is my holy grail of a game that should have been, should have changed the world, but it didn't. Uh, for I don't know, Majestic was a game EA released in 2001, uh, it was a sort of an alternative reality game based on conspiracy law. So clever for immersive storytelling. Unfortunately, it came out two weeks before September 11th happened. Oh, and EA, EA realized having a game that phoned you, threatening you to kill you, was probably not going to be a good idea. So they put it down, then it didn't work because there was no number. But it's such an idea that I think never was explored again. It was a notorious flop that lost millions. But, but I still think, oh, I go back, grab like the latest game a year and it would have been, it would have changed the game. But for me, it's the licensing thing. I would have loved to have gone back to the mid seventies. There was a British board game company called Waddington's who got every single TV license going, regardless of how logical it was. They made games based on bloody on the buses and every, every sitcom had a Waddington's game. They all sucked balls. But the one I always, is my sort of holy grail is Nightmare. And if uh, you never seen Nightmare, Nightmare was a TV game show for children. One of the first uses of blue screen technology in British television, uh, because one kid would put a helmet on and they'd put him in a room full of blue screens and he'd wander around 
and then sort of computer generated world and the other kids in the studio had to guide him to solve puzzles and it was very uh, D&D kind of before D&D was a major force if they had have made Nightmare into a proper role playing game it would have been a boom period because what every kid wanted to do was recreate Nightmare at home but what Waddington's did being the cheap bastards they were they just took a very generic get to the end board game and put the Nightmare logo on it the stuff you could have done if night I think like the industry, especially in the UK where I grew up, would have been so different if night if they'd have gone that D D thing. We get that, we make it good, and we slap the nightmare logo on it, put a picture of Trayard on the front. Gangbusters. And they didn't. And I will I will always slightly hate Waddington's for that, which is very misplaced hate because they went past like 30 years. <laughs> So I can't really hate them for it. They also did another game based on soap opera EastEnders. And I think if they'd have done that as a role-playing game, God, like the soaps, I think of this, we talked about untapped markets. Soap fans are just, they would love role-playing games if we can just find a way of making them look at them and like having the EastEnders license to do something actually good with it would have been, even though I'm not a fan of EastEnders, would have just been such an open door to this medium for so many people. I, but, uh, I think the two like there there are so many things that I wish like had played out differently for that like some of those goes back to what I was saying about the bigger games are going to take less creative risks because they're part of a big company and they have you know they have marketing decisions to make that are different from the ones that we make as indie game designers there's that and also stuff like actual plays I wish I could have been in a room with like critical role people be like how about don't play D&D how like play something else and the world of I feel like the world of gaming right now would be different if critical role was playing something that wasn't fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons um some of the things that even like with the Adventure Zone I mean they've played a lot of D&D but they have also played a couple indie games um and the boost the boost that a smaller creator can get when someone with a huge platform even like briefly breathes about a game um can do wonders um and opens up a pathway for people who would be like in there on the um the mainstream sense and then suddenly like oh amazing here's this game too um yeah i I've never heard of Waddingtons. I've never heard of this nightmare game. Um, <laughs> there's like, it's a very obscure answer. It's this, is, this is the second time you said something that's like a world that I feel like I would have really enjoyed, but I am not British. <laughs> again, again, once we're done, I will send you a link because it was it was D and D. It was a D and D actual play as a children's game show. <laughs> Thirty years before that was even a thing. Oh, wow! Yeah, that's super cool. it, it was amazing. And very famous because the host Treyard had a great voice. And whenever a character, because characters could die, here's six year olds. Welcome to the concept of mortality, children. We'd always just go, we'd always, <laughs> that's when a so kid, British, though. When like, a that's kid so died, British. When a kid died, this guy in a fucking dungeon master tower would go, nasty. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like over in America, you know, we're just being traumatized by Don Blither as a British Arlianic. Welcome to death, kids. Oh, also, I, I want to throw something on the pile real quick. Go back and prevent Monopoly from getting stolen by the Parker Brothers. So that yes. that curse is not unleashed upon the gaming world. That's oh, a that very good point. Or, <laughs> or how about? Well, let it let it be the game it should have been, which was a game that warned against capitalism. 
yeah, um, landlords. Parker game. Brothers stripped all of that. Yeah, the when it was the landlords game, and it was filled with like social commentary, basically saying, "Isn't I mean, it terrible how how people can take advantage of other?" That's people? that's another thing. Like getting those early board game designers actually getting their stories written down, because like Candyland being designed specifically, Candyland is one of the best designed board games ever made. It was designed for children in iron lungs. And every design element is based on giving them something they could not have in the Iron Lung. And I think that gets overlooked. And I I wish I could just go back to those people and go, I'm writing your story down immediately so I can shove this in everybody's face. This is amazing. And these days, like, designers don't look at that stuff. You look at it now and go, that today would be considered a masterpiece of design. Because goddamn. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. There's also a lot of historical figures that introduce role-playing games, too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I could have changed a lot of history. <laughs> we're, 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 doing a, we're doing a lot more with the time machine. Thank you, question asker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not just doing this one thing with the time machine. You gave us a time machine. <laughs> uh, Enjoy your paradox. <laughs> um, how about... What has consistently been the best part of designing games... And the worst part. Are we ready to to praise and complain? <laughs> For me, the best part about designing games has been uh, as a as just like a personal creative outlet. It's just been an, another personal creative outlet. I'd probably do it even if I didn't know I could publish them. That's always and, and designing things with my husband has always has been really fun. It's been a really fun way to bond, um, and and share a hobby. What's the best part about designing games for you, Craig? Oh, um, because I design and publish, I'm going to, I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you a design and a publish. Uh, the best part design wise is the revelation, like the epiphany, the moment when something comes together and you're like, oh, that just made the game so much better, or it made the game work at all like like the idea wasn't going anywhere and i suddenly strike on something sometimes it happens in a vacuum just me working on stuff sometimes it comes out of a playtest discussion um those are great like when you just when you solve that problem that was just not getting you know the game wasn't getting to someplace and you suddenly are um from the publishing side of stuff like once the game itself is designed or kind of on its way and everything to this day i love it when i get art for the first time um, when that thing that's been just words in my head and ideas in my head and words on the computer is suddenly visual because I can't draw the art for any of my games when like and it's all the art is fun, but that like the first batch or the first illustration is like, okay, there it is. There's my game. Like somebody imagined it up into artwork and that is spectacular. I love that. I, you know, I just had that. I I have it regularly because I, I publish enough. I make enough stuff, but I'm, I'm in the midst of that for Capers Cyberpunk right now where like, you know, Beth is, is punching through art and we had a, you know, the initial run late last year. And now like I got a big batch of final artwork just like a week ago. And I was like, <laughs> it's like, look at all these things that I've made in my brain and, and Beth made into real like pictures and artwork. It's great. <laughs> yeah I, I love that moment too Liana what's your favorite moment uh, definitely, the best seconding, definitely seconding the art thing but um, for me 
I, I, I never fail to be complete, like just absolutely touched when, when I get this and I get this with enough frequency that like, it's, it's really nice. Um, I'll have people sometimes approach me and say, thank you for making mm. the game that I always wanted to exist. It's uh, so like, that's, there's something special about that where someone's just like, I've always wanted this to have to exist and you did it. And I so appreciate that you're here. Um, I, I'll never get tired of that. And every time, every time I hear it, it it's just like right in the heart. <laughs> that is, that is a really good one. It's, it's something that I've said to aspiring designers a lot um, is there's, there's an audience. There are people who are waiting for your game. Yes. Like they, yes, they some absolutely. of them know it. And some of them don't know it, but there are people out there who are just waiting. And when they see it, they're going to be like, oh, this is it. This is exactly what I, what I wanted. Um, and to have them say it <laughs> is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Darshan, what's your best part? Sort of building on that. For me, it's just those times where I discover sort of people talking about things I've made outside of me. <laughs> was where I'm not even involved. I, I, one of my friends, uh, I once had one of my games recommended to me. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, that's fantastic. Someone who didn't know, didn't know me at all said, Oh, we're playing this game. And it was like, Oh, I was like, I was like, I was like Do I, do I say? I did say yes, because they, they were like, Oh, I'll send you a copy. It's like, I'll send you the link to buy it. So I don't really need it. I already have one. Uh, I have more than I could ever need, actually, technically. Um, but yeah, it's for me, it's that seeing that connection because you know, we talk about sort of the incate sort of the incate nature of all things, but it's still this idea that some me, a boring little shed in my tiny apartment, can touch the life of someone who is millions of miles away, who's done something that we'll never meet. We were never going to meet. But somehow this has sort of flowed through and given them an experience. It's still just a, an amazing, hard to configure thing for me. And that's my favorite moment, just having those moments of going, you know, especially online, like I may never meet this person. I probably will never meet this person. But for a brief moment, our lives crossed paths and that little knot formed. That's amazing. And as I believe one of the best things a human can do is connect to another human. That's how we build. And even in my little connection, my little knot's teeny weeny, but it's a knot. God damn it. That's a good thing. I don't want to do the worst part. I want to like keep the positive vibe here and kind of like jump in on this, this next question. Uh, what's a game that you want to see in the world, but you don't want to be the one designing it. I think that's related. This is I've I've thought about this a lot. There's like a lot of games I want to design. Um, there are there are a lot of games I want to play. I want to play. I don't know if I want to design it, but I've always wanted to play a game where like the transformation of your magical girl is like really important. Like the the difference between your regular life and your magical life. Like I want to play that game. Um, I don't know if I'm the one who would be designing it. Um, it I, I like to do the creative thing, though. Um, but I, I want to play that game so bad. 
I also there's a lot of LARPs I would play that I don't want to design because I want to be like the player mm-hmm. and I want to be surprised by it. <laughs> Starshine, is there a game that you you want to see, see in the world? The transformation one is what I want, but that's what I want to design because right. like, I love that element. For me, it'd be actually a train simulator, like a proper. I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it, but a game where you're sort of controlling a train and sort of building around the world around it. Like that really early Thomas the Tank Engine, the Reverend Aubrey stories, where sort of Thomas and the trains are part of their world and reflective of the world around them. Just, I would love that game where you're sort of going through these towns, seeing how your train and what you're moving affects the world around you and how the other trains move around in, with like proper like mechanics for drive, for handling trains. This is so nerdy, it hurts. <laughs> handling trains and actually handling the supply lines and stuff like that to build these worlds it would be amazing for me but my god i'm already like marked as a hopeless nerd and i don't want that on my conscience as having <laughs> here's the train game <laughs> here everyone <laughs> the mark of my mer- most nerdy attribute my love of trains <laughs> i'm playing to the stereotype have your fucking trains <laughs> i want to play a game mostly because I just want to see what everybody would bring to the table for play, for characters. I want to play a game that is not necessarily the IP, but is Ready Player One, where it's this mashup of, like, everybody can bring in, like, their character that is, like, from like all these different related subgenres, or you could like you can you know create a version of this character from this other movie or you can you know inspired by this thing and to see how all those things would interact with one another and you have all of these influences that are there i'm not the right person to play to design that game because i don't have the breadth of knowledge in a lot of other things like when you when the group of you gets really going on anime i'm like good on you I just don't know enough about anime to really contribute, but I could play, you know, uh, uh, Neo from the Matrix and Liana, you could come in with an anime character and Starshine could come in with something really obscure from British 70, you know, 1970s um, and Jess could play, you know, uh, 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 Neo's basically I don't say an anime, anime character anyway. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and have the game kind of be in the engine. Cause I mean, you could technically, you could do this sort of thing with a generic system, right. But have the game system be built around the idea of like the mashup of these different things and how they might interact with each other. And what happens when these very different influences and, you know, character types and tropes and things from very different influences are all in the same game together. And it would be one of those that would be like, it would have to be put together by a team of people who have a breadth of experience across a lot of different things. Yeah, there's like a lot of like video games that um, I have really, really enjoyed playing that I was like, I would never be able to make anything like that. But this is exactly the kind of thing I want to play um, that has like a lot of specialized knowledge. I played one where you have to figure out like what parts of a song were plagiarized um, from another wow. song. It was a it was a game that was making fun of Ed Sheeran, who um, uh, has plagiarized a lot okay allegedly allegedly has plagiarized a lot of um uh songs uh but i would never be able to do something like that because i don't have the technical skill i would never be able to make a train game i don't know anything about trains like there's like so much stuff but the problem is i don't know what games are that the game i want to play that i can't make because that's it's going to be something from outside of my experience from outside of my realm of expertise 
but it's going to hit so hard for me and I'm not going to know it until I see it in front of me. Okay. Well, we'll check back in with you at episode 200 yeah. and see if Which that game uh, has popped up and you, then you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Recurring segment. This is a hard question though. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, here's the thing for me. Like I have dreams of just making all kinds of games, video games, board games, tabletop games. Like there's just so many games I want to make. And I don't, I generally like the limiting factor for me is budget. Cause like I am confident that I could make a lot of my video game concepts if I had a sustainable budget, because like my, my kind of my focus is the project management and planning. So um, I at least like to believe that I, I do have within me the capability to do it. So it's really hard for me to think about like a game that I want to see, but I don't want to design because I want to design yeah. them all, right? Yeah. That's a legitimate, that's a legitimate um, answer to the question. That's fine. But also, I really want someone to make a MOBA that doesn't involve farming, because I <laughs> oh. I despise laning, and I want a very PvP focused MOBA. Like I tried one recently, which is like this kind of like battle sports game, and it was kind of neat, but it didn't quite hit for me. Uh, so like I want like a nice combat combat and objective focused MOBA, but not having to like lane and last hit and farm because that sucks um but also it's like i would make this game myself if i had the budget so so again it's kind of a <laughs> um we're we're running out of there's a couple other questions that were on here but maybe we'll save them craig for episodes yeah, I'm Seriously. thinking that a couple of the questions that we that we kind of covered very quickly here could easily become larger topics. Um, some of the ones that we didn't get to could potentially become larger topics. So, um, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll use some of what we have here as inspiration for uh, deeper dives. Yeah, there there is one last question on here because it's I feel like it's good and relevant for the 100th episode. It says that now the two of you have been doing the show for a while, what game do you think you'd like to make together? Um, I think that Craig, we should make a we should make a game about about podcast. <laughs> it can be a it can be a GMless game, uh, where we have to like we have to get some guests, uh, and have a topic and stick to that topic and not go off on weird tangents. Uh, that won't be absolutely impossible. Uh, but Jess, the, Jess, the, yes. We we play that game every weekend. I know, but we can we can make the game now. Um, I I think the actual answer would be that we would make a horror game together because we both like horror, uh, and I think that that would be something that we both enjoy. And um, but the problem is, Craig keeps making all the horror games he wants to make. So <laughs> I've only made like. Three? Yeah, no. <laughs> Code Warriors is definitely horror. I know you, you want to say that. It's- no, no, no. I was counting that. There's there's elements of horror in there. Okay. Then there's Nowhereville and, and Die Laughing. And horror. Low Stakes is horror, but not like the right it's kind horror of horror. comedy. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, um, we have to go back. Jess, we need to go back and listen to all of our episodes where we talk about, I want to make that game where we say that, you know, that line. Yeah. Because we've probably got 30 or 40 ideas of us saying, like, I, I want to play that game. And yeah. somewhere in there is something we could actually make. And that could be, like, literally, I think it could be a whole book uh, called, it could be a series of uh, of essays. I want to make that game. Um, <laughs> and that would be a whole thing. I want to play that. Um, 
Starshine and Liana, it has been an honor to have you on for our 100th episode, parts one and two. Our 100th and our 100th. Thank you. Yes, I, I was so happy to have the two of you on, and I was so happy to get all of these questions in, and there was some that we could have talked about a little longer, and I now have a whole lot of episode ideas to add on to um, our RPG R&D topic list. Um, I also want to like say thank you again, like, our listeners. It's kind of... I, my microphone has been really far away from my mouth, I just realized. Um, our listeners, uh, it's great that people want to listen to us talk about games and and listen to our guests come on and, and talk about their knowledge and expertise that, uh, like, it's it's just been really fun to do this. Um, one of the most, one of the longer projects I've ever been a part of. So thank every, thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of the guests, um, yes. Starshine and Liana and everybody else, all you other guests. Um, we sent an email to everyone um, about, you know, with a big thank you. But uh, just to put it out there publicly for the listeners as well. Thank you, guests, because um, part of the strength of this show is um, having a new voice um, out that, that is not Jess or I who have, you know, uh, we have our particular proclivities, but every time the guest comes on and shakes things up and brings in other viewpoints, um, and we have a wide variety of guests with a lot of different viewpoints, and um, we've had a lot of fun and hope to continue to have a lot of fun with all of you. So thank you, guests. Um, let's wrap this up. Uh, we'll we'll start with Starshine. Starshine, go ahead and tell us where you can find your games and if there are any final thoughts you have about our, our Q&A session for episode 100. Those are some really interesting questions. Um, impressively, impressively deep questions. Like, oh, I was not expecting this much of a mental workout as <laughs> early in the morning, to be honest with you. Uh, you can find all my games at StarshineScribbles.com. That's coming to my portfolio, my itch page, and uh, also my blog if you want sort of nonsense ramblings. You find me on Twitter at, at StarshineScrib, S-C-R-I-B for the second half. And yeah, if you go on my website, you'll find all my other social media Whatever platform, when this comes out, whatever platform is currently existing, just insert that there and there'll be a link to that on the homepage. Liana? I feel like, yeah, that's a uh, super fun, uh, a lot of really interesting questions. I feel like I had a rare opportunity to get some insight into like the British scene in ways that I never expected I would. So like, thank you, Starshine, for... <laughs> I don't know that I understood half of it, <laughs> but like it was fascinating to hear about. Uh, but uh, anyway, my name is Leanna McKenzie. Uh, you can find me at valorousgames.com uh, or if it ever works again on Twitter uh, at valorousgames and at valorleana. I'm super happy to be here. Always enjoy coming and chatting and I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can find oh, me. No, just freeze oh, did I? <laughs> it didn't fr it only froze very briefly for me i could still hear you and you guys are still moving that's around good, that's good. so yeah my i know internet i know you're unstable right now i don't know what's going on with it i blame uh, nascar all... being in chicago how dare they i know that has nothing to do with it i just want to complain about it every chance i get you can find me at twitter for now at at Joska or on Tumblr at, at Joska or on TikTok at Just as Awful. You can find my games much more reliably if you look up Wannabe Games on DriveThruRPG or on Itch or at wannabegames.com. 
You can also find me in real life if you want to come to Gen Con in Indianapolis in August. I will be there with the IGDN. Come find the Indie Game Developer Network. We are one of the other IG something something acronyms, but you can find us where we have a yellow booth. It's yellow. No, the internet, the internet. It's okay. I'll be on my side. It'll be recording on my side. Oh, no. <laughs> we have a yeah. Am I back? Yeah, yeah you're back. back. Go ahead, Craig. I can always just record my stuff if it didn't come out right. Fair I can just enough. Record it. <laughs> Badly dub it in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can find me at Nerdburger Craig on the Twitter and over on Dice.camp at Dice Camp, right? Dice Camp on Mastodon. Um, All right. I think I have one of those too. I haven't heard anything. <laughs> and. Uh, the website is nerdburgergames.com. The games are all under nerdburgergames at drivethroughrpg.com. Um, I will also be at Gen Con. Nerdburger Games has booth 2954. Come see me. Say hello. Um, that'll be a lot of fun. And um, as a heads up, I guess let's let's lay this out there. Um with Gen Con coming up, Jess and I are very, very busy getting ready for Gen Con and then getting through the weekend of Gen Con. Um, so we're going on a little hiatus um, until after we wrap up Gen Con. So we probably will record again probably the weekend after Gen Con. So it'll be a few weeks before we are back. But we will be back um, with an all-new slate of uh, fun, interesting topics um, and all of our wonderful guests Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avil by Steph Sachs, licensed under Creative Commons. And for the 101st time, thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.